You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. This is Michael Gannett with Insight to Israel and Shotless for Heroes. It is another beautiful day in the Jewish state. And I want to start off this radio show by thanking the guys at America's Web Radio who bring the truth about the Jewish state to the grassroots of the United States. David, I get excited. This country... Did you see my video from the other day? I did. This country is number one in technology, agriculture, and medicine. And the vast amounts of humanitarian work that the Jewish people do around the world. And David, I was blessed. David Necrotum. I never say your last nice name right. David Necrotum. Okay. I, David, great to have you here on the show. Thank you. David, I was so blessed to go to Italy. That's a trip I could have never afforded. But thank God I have a specific sponsor. When I sent him, my, my executive administrator, Iris, I told him when the earthquake happened and I saw on J-Post that Israel was there. I said, I gotta go. I'll be the only goy, the only non-Jew covering this story. And I was. I gotta go. She goes, no, Michael, you can post stuff from other people and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, that's not what I'm here for. I, I'm gonna go. And the more she told me, no, it's a, you need a new laptop, it's a waste of resources, you need, do, you need this and that and the other. And the more she told me no, I was like, I'm doing it. So I text messaged uh, my, the surrogate between me and the sponsor. And I said, this is why I want to go. And the next day, they sent me a, a text message back and said, it's a great idea. Have Iris set everything up. And not only did she set it up, but she worked with them. And David, the treatment I got that made it so efficient from point A to point B and everywhere in between uh, was a miracle. And what I experienced... now. You do need to provide some context because we're speaking now a few months after the earthquake. After the earthquake. So if you've been paying attention to my social media, wow, folks, you can't imagine how what this little country does. In fact, the UN just said, did you read the article? Mm-hmm. The UN just said, repeat it for me. The UN said that Israel is number one in the world in technology. Well, medical care. Oh, medical care. In well. medical care. The UN. <laughs> you know why? Because the Muslims are coming here to get it. Well, most of your drugs that are not brand name. Right. Right. Is made by Teva. Or, and there's, uh, I forgot, Fyro? Fyro uh, Pharmaceutical? There's another, uh, Taro. Taro's Pharmaceutical. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So, I want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you to the guys at America's Web Radio. For, for three and a half years, you have been bringing this message to America, not just to America, around the world, because outside of the U.S., it's on the Internet. And it's amazing the emails I get from people around the world that say, please tell the Jewish people we love them and we stand with them. When I show the soldiers these emails, they're shocked. It's amazing. So I want to say also thank you to everyone who gives, gives, gives to Chocolates for Heroes. You know what's amazing, David? Israelis are now getting involved. I just had a woman, uh, her family, uh, in Jerusalem. She saw Chocolates for Heroes, and she said, Michael, what can I do? So I said, okay, you can eat some chocolate bars. She wants to go to a base. She wants to take her kids with her. You know, she's never been on a base before, except when she was in the Army. 
but our kids are young, and to have that exposure to the soldiers on a base is amazing. So thank you to Americans and to Israelis that are getting involved. Can you imagine a note on a chocolate bar was on the train? And I, I get the chance to stand up, and I give them my business card, and I sneer, wait a minute, and they're just looking at me. And then I get to say thank you for defending the Jewish state. How it's changed my life in four years, and in 68 years what you've done. When I mentioned the Haganah, Palmach, Lechi, and Etzel, how they never dreamed there would be a uniform. They couldn't even imagine there would be a state. And what they fought for to defend the Jewish people here in Israel. And they're shocked that I know that history, you know. And such an encouragement. Thank you, America, for putting a simple note on the chocolate bar. And saying to these soldiers, we love you, we pray for you, we stand with you. I'm telling you, the morale boost, the, 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 the different outlook they have, it's amazing. And I'm blessed to see. When I went to Hebron last week, and I go to all the checkpoints, and they're like, what are you doing here? What? Chocolate? And then I show them my shirt inside Israel, and i got chocolates for heroes on the back, and I talk about inside Israel, and then I flip around and show them chocolates for heroes, they crack up laughing. They, because they're not expecting the back of the shirt. Right. You know? So, thank you, America. Thank you for what you do for the Israeli soldiers. It's cost-effective, time-efficient. Email me on Facebook or mganoe, G-A-N-O-E, at insighttoisrael.com. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who looks at our social media, who watches our videos, who shares... Don't just like. Share it. Get this message out about the truth of this country and their fight for sovereignty and security. Their greatness. And the one thing I've seen, the one thing that I love, David, you know, people say to me, they say, oh, Michael, you think Israel's perfect. (laughs) It's not perfect. Not even by a long shot. But most of the people here, grassroots, you know, you, you said something to me earlier, David, about, like, I want to see you hanging out with a lot of Christians. And it's not that I have anything against the Christians. But for me to truly understand, for me to get that insight into the culture and the people that, who generation after generation, the few short generations that have been here, that pay the taxes, that have created and built this great country, that send their children to war, and many whose children end up in Mount Herzl in the in the in, in the, the national the national cemetery. You know, this is the best way. When I sit in their homes on Shabbat, when I get invited to Rosh Hashanah by the Yemen and have Shabbat dinner, and we're all they're just throwing the food on the on the table, and everybody's dipping in the same hummus with the bread. It's that's that's the best way to know the hearts of the Jewish people. In Israel. So, all right, David. Now we get into the nitty gritty of things. <laughs> that was a long introduction. Wow. You know, I'm telling you, brother. Someone and I in that video I did the other day. You know, I've had people tell me when I first came here. They said, "Look, it's so hard." And blah blah blah. He said, "It'll it'll go away. You once you've been here for a while, it'll go away." Man, it's only gotten stronger. You know. It's only given me more fire. And it's not just zeal, but there's, there's an evidence, an evidential knowledge behind it. And the more I learn, 
the more exciting it is because I see as I see the countries. Listen, America, let me say this. You're not going to like this because he's not a patriot. He's not a patriot. He's turned his back on America. No. I, America is a concept. Give me one second. It's my radio show. America is a concept. That's all that you are. This is not about attractive land or a flag. This is about an idea. A concept that comes, whose principles come from the principles of Torah. America has lost the concept. It's long gone. We just don't know it. Our arrogance as we wave the flag and say, God bless America. And ladies and gentlemen, if I read the Bible correctly and see what God's laid out, He would have to apologize. You've heard this to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I, I heard that back in the 80s. And it, I, I kind of knew what it meant, but things weren't so bad then. They were okay. They were still on the... But we had, we've, we're, we've come so far that he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no other way to look at it. Now, anyway, but I want to say to Christians, now is your time. Now is your time. You need to be prepared for what is coming. And in that preparation, if you want to regain in your personal heart the concept, you must go back to the concrete, which is God... The Bible, Torah, the Jewish people, and Israel. Whew. Okay, that's exciting. We're, we're, we're starting off with a bomb <laughs> right here. <laughs> okay, David, it's it's great to have you on the show. You haven't been on in a while. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's, I, we do this yearly. We we do. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. last year, last summer when when I in had the you summer. On. But we we had to postpone because you had your trip to Italy. Yeah, and um, we moved our offices from Efrat to Jerusalem to the Bible Lands Museum. Oh, really? So the Center for Jewish Christian Understanding and Cooperation, which I'm the executive director for, uh, which is the first Orthodox Jewish institution. Uh, to dialogue with Christians around the world. Uh, for the last eight years, we were based in the in the Frat, which is uh, parallel to Bethlehem. Uh, we're under the auspices of Ortar Stone, founded by Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, who's the chief rabbi of a Frat, who refounded that city 35 years ago. Wow! He has the second largest private institution in Israel, with 3,000 students, 13 campuses in Gush Etzion, in Efrat, in Jerusalem. For, for both men and women from their high school throughout their military service. So when you're serving the Jewish state, you don't sacrifice your biblical studies. Wow. So he has both a, what's called a Hesder program for both women and men. We have the second largest export of rabbis around the world. And part of the calling of Rabbi Riskin uh, nine years ago, remember, Rabbi Riskin is 78 years old. Wow. Okay. And he doesn't stop. He continues. He's... I can never complain about my trips to America or around the world and doing all this traveling because he's always in the air. Our joke with him is our father in heaven because he's always on an airplane <laughs> somewhere to visit the Jewish community or speak to the Christian community and churches around the world to let them know that the Jewish people are appreciative of the uh, remnant within Christendom to stand with the Jewish people. But he's also there to encourage the Jews around the world to identify with their Judaism, to be better Jews, to understand the significance of the state of Israel as a testament to a living, personal God in our lifetime. So, uh, now can I interject here? Sure. I have, I, have a, I have a question. First of all, one of the things that I, I 
that as I've actually begun, but my, part of my vision for Insight to Israel is to actually have an opportunity to go to the Jewish communities like in Europe. And if I have to like carry a soft uh, grandma on my back to bring her home where she's safe, I, I, you know, my desire is to go to the Jewish communities and tell them why they need to make Aliyah, why it's important they come home. You know, and I, we started that, and actually when we were in Italy, in Rome, when I did the interview with the chief rabbi, I said, when you make an Aliyah, and he's like, well, I haven't thought about it. But it, it, does, does, he, does he initiate? Rabbi Riskin, I mean, his response, one of the reasons this, for the success of Rabbi Riskin is he left a New York cleric career behind saying wow. that we need to move to Israel. And this is 35 years ago, and that's wow. how he reestablished Efrat. People from all over the world understood the vision that we do need to return to Israel. Every time he goes out to the diaspora, he's always speaking about the need for the Jewish people to return. Wow. And I will, I will say this. I say the only reason for Jews allowed to be in the diaspora is the same commitment that Reuben, God, and half of the tribe of Manasseh promised to Moses that they would not go into the promised land, but they would be on the front lines for the Jewish people if any time there would be a crisis. Okay, the I mean, only, this is new to me. The only way that Jews are allowed is that if, it, if they have to be on the front lines for Israel. This is a very big concept. Right now, we are still in the midst of a war. The state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy in our time. From the four corners of the, of the world, Jews returned here. It's the biggest testament that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a living, covenantal, fulfills his promise to God. Absolutely. After anything else. So that means that Jews who still live in the diaspora, if anything is happening with Israel, they have to be the first people on the front lines, to whether it be up. on the public relations thing or giving money towards Israeli causes. But it does not you cannot escape your responsibility. Right. Because the only reason for the permission or the uh, dispensation, if you want to call it. Wow, that's a good word. Is that you have to be on the front lines. Wow. If you decide to stay. Now, let me ask you, there are... Uh, and I do think that you need Jews around the world. I don't think it has to, you, the world shouldn't be Jew free. Jews should be around the world, but it should be as basis to in, enhance Jewish identity and our world vision of what we see Judaism to be. Okay. Not a, it's, Judaism is not a shtetl way of looking at things. It's not a ghetto way of looking at things. Right. If you look at who, who we are as a people, and the actualization of the fullest expression of Judaism only takes place in this state, in this land. Right. Okay. If you look in the book of Deuteronomy, it lays out the entire vision of who we are as a people. Wow. But that does not mean the diaspora is Jew-free. We never want you to write. We don't want that concept that there shouldn't be any Jews. But the Jews that are out there are on the front lines for the expression of, the fullest expression of what it means to be a Jew. And that connection always has to be with the state of Israel. Wow. Everyone has to be a Zionist if you're a Jew. Absolutely. If you're anti-Zionist, you're an anti-Semite. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you. So, now, um, the, the listeners may or may not understand this. Uh, there's a lot of things I've learned since I've been here. Actually, I was in the bus station a couple of years ago. It was uh, Purim. And the biblical holiday of celebrating the Book of Esther. Exactly. And so uh, I stopped to say thank you to a soldier who was in Jerusalem, if I didn't say that, in the bus station. And so this girl sitting next to the soldier said, Michael Gano. And I, I said, yes. 
And she goes, inside the Israel? And I said, yes. And she said, I know who you are. And I said, well, I don't know you. She goes, I don't expect you to. I'm from New York. But you have a very good name in the Jewish community in New York. And because we watch your stuff on the internet. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And bro, I started crying. So, in talking to this young lady, she's with a group called Chabad. Right. And I told her, I said, why don't you make Aliyah? This, I mean, this, like, this is great. You, you have your homeland. And they don't believe that, they, they think you need to be a better Jew. And if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm mistaken, uh, the Mashiach needs to come back and establish it. Am I correct? There are certain groups within Judaism that the fulfillment of the Messianic era should be done when the Messiah comes. Uh, but I think, I, again, not sure which group within Chabad she's in. Okay. What Chabad, well, she, she didn't feel like she should come. She should come. That she should be here. Right. Because so she's always, a better Jew. That's that's. No, that, that's okay. not the, that's not the case. Okay. Chabad preaches something very, very um, pertinent to our times. They're the first. They were. They're best represented as our eternal missionaries, in essence. Okay. Jews making other Jews better Jews. Okay. Yeah, I remember so her saying something. Like right. That. So the fact will remain that Jews will remain in the diaspora. Not all Jews are going to come back here, but we don't want to lose Jews to assimilation, which right. has already been done. Right. We still have the same numbers of Jews that we had 40 years ago. Yeah. Does that mean Jews didn't get married and have kids? Of course they did. But to identify yourself as a Jew, especially in America and some Western um, European countries, it's easier to be an Italian, an Englishman, an American right. than identify myself as a Jew. Right. So with the intermarriage and assimilation to secularism, Chabad's job felt it was very necessary to then bring Jewish identity back. Okay. That people who felt lost or when the organized religious culture didn't feel that they could embrace people who don't identify all the things within the religious denomination, Chabad provided something for people that they could at least taste a little bit about what it means to be a Jew and be joyous about it. Right. So Chabad's whole thing is going out to the diaspora and making Jews be better Jews. Here in Israel, it's making the secular Jews more observant. Right. No, because I see it. 85% of this country is not observant. Right. So what they do is provide something for... because There's a lot of reasons behind that. Right, it's right, a different yeah. Show. It's a different show. But they're there to help express something about what it means to be a Jew. Yeah. So you you need you need groups. I said you always need... You're going to need people out there to help Judaism continue to flow from one generation. So, so am I... <laughs> Now, when Jay, Jay Schultz, the unofficial, unofficial rabbi for Insight to Israel. Right, I, I know. Jay and I were always hammering that all the Jews need to come home. This is the time. So I'd like, and I hope I'm, I've probably offended some people, but that's okay because maybe I'm a little naive in my zeal sometimes. But I say every rabbi should be the next Moses leading his people home. Yeah, that I believe that, I, I, I agree with you that there has to be a movement within the synagogues to encourage people to move here. That does not mean you have to necessarily leave everything behind in the United States. You can still 
go and travel. Operate That's, your business. Operate your yeah, business. Yeah, I know people that do. Job, but I made my home here. Right. Right? Right. And I'm staying for a while. I'm staying, and then I have to do business, and I'll go I'll travel back. But that's fine. That's that's how it should be. Right. No, you know, it's funny because when I... <laughs> Meaning here doesn't mean you leave everything, be- leave everything behind. You want to increase... One of the, we're supposed to be a light unto the nation. I left a few suits in my mother's closet. But again, you have we have to be a light unto I'm the nation. Supposed nations. to be a joke. I got it. Okay, go ahead. We're supposed to be a light unto the nations, right? We can only be a light unto the nations if we're also being with the nations. But the base is here. Right. I think the encouragement has to be that the base is here more than once a year visit for Jews. Right. That they feel that it's their home, and the only way you can make that commitment is by saying. I'm putting down the down payment for that home, and I'm making my, I'm coming, and it's more than just a once a year visit. You know, I've been to Nefesh, but Nefesh, we're gonna get we're gonna get back on track here. Okay. I think it's so exciting because I've been I've got videos on YouTube of Nefesh Benefesh events. Right. Where Jews making Aliyah. I'm a Nefesh Benefesh uh, participant. I couldn't it, make Aliyah without Nefesh Benefesh. It's it's amazing. Yeah. What was it like for you? When you, when you made Aliyah, when you came home. So we were considered back then the biggest Aliyah because we had two airplanes of, of Jews arriving at the same time. Oh, really? In the old, old airport yeah, terminal no. in Ben-Gurion. Uh, Prime Minister Sharon was there. Wow. Um, it was just a joyous occasion of everybody returning home. So it's all the crying babies on on the plane. <laughs> Everyone changing diapers. People getting to know each other. Everyone's going, and like you're you're coming in, and this this major celebration, and you have the army celebrating with you, and then you get your you get your ID number. Wow! When you get off the plane and saying now you are a citizen of the state of Israel. Wow! It is. I am the fulfillment of my side of the family of the first chapter of returning back to the land. Like my oldest son, who's 16 now, but three years ago he has bar mitzvah. He's the first Nicaraguan to be bar mitzvah in 2,000 years. Wow. Wow. That's a powerful moment of a, of a parent. Now, your son was born here. My, so, my two older sons were born in America. Okay. My youngest one, my third son was born. He's the Israeli. He's, He's the first South. generation. He's first generation. Wow. Uh, no, my, mo- my wife is, is, from, is, also, is an Israeli. So he's, he's, depending what side, but my side, he's first generation. Wow, that's amazing. amazing. So just to, those are the moments to be the chapter heading in Jewish history as opposed to a footnote in the diaspora. Wow. David, that's, uh, it's, it's exciting. These are exciting days to be a part of the Jewish state. Now, you actually, how did you get involved because you went, you you're actually working right now and getting your master's. I'm finishing my master's in, in, in Christian theology at Oral Roberts University. And you're the first Orthodox Jew to be accepted <laughs> into a spirit. That's awesome. <laughs> Spirit-filled university uh, and a Christian theology program. And wow. My thesis is on the Hebraic roots of the Holy Spirit as a as a way to the reason why I chose Oral Roberts University and the, and the reason why I chose the Holy Spirit is I feel in the 16 years of doing Jewish Christian relations and being the expert in Jewish evangelical relations, uh, I reviewed it 50 years of dialogue and the Holy Spirit was never talked about officially within conferences amongst Jews and Christians. And I think there's a lot that can be used theologically to bond 
the, the relationship between Jews and Christians much, much better than simply a celebratory event once a year for right. Israel. As important as that is, right. uh, I feel that my calling in life is to take the relationship a little bit deeper because for those people who have been doing this for years and standing in the gap for Israel, those celebratory events can only last for a certain amount of time if we don't put meat and potatoes on the relationship to Absolutely. go deeper by learning the Bible together, to understand one another. Like, you know, most Jews have a medieval Catholic approach to Christians. Yeah, right? I've been really misunderstood since right. I've been And here they don't years. understand that, you know, the Pentecostal movement and how it developed and uh, that, you know, because you were simply born in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. And I think many Jews believe right. that. Right, and then you're absolutely correct. And now, for Jew, Jewish people, you know, they put the entire history of the of the church and the name of Jesus that is such horrible things to the synagogue right. squarely on the shoulders of a person who recently came to faith right. within the Christian movement. Right, and like, okay, this is your responsibility, and the Christians are like, whoa, I just got here, you know? Yeah, uh, slow down. I'm just trying to figure out not only my own faith journey vis-a-vis Jesus, but also how am I supposed to express this thing of love that I have for the Jewish people that I don't fully understand, which I never had before. Yeah. And you're putting all this thing, this baggage on me. So, like, a lot of times my part of what I do is to explain to Jews, you have to understand the miracle of a Christian standing with Israel. And it's not part of an agenda right. behind the scenes Thank you. to convert all Jews and make them and make sure they all believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean that some people don't have that agenda. Right. Right. But ninety percent of the everyday Christian who stands with Israel is simply doing it because God put it into their heart and they answered the call. Wow. To that download. Wow, wow. Let me ask you, there's so many, there's like two questions that came to my mind. One has to deal with Arab Christians, which we'll get to. And because I'm very glad that you stated that Christianity is a choice and not something you're born into. Uh, Because I had, listen, I had people in the United States long before I ever thought about coming to Israel. Uh, When I lived in Florida, you know, I had this girl that's a friend of mine. She's an attorney, and she said, "No, you're you're Jewish. There's, there are no Jewish people that are by design, d- genetically, which is completely untrue. Uh, no, it's all by your religion, blah blah blah." My point in saying that is, is is that you, even if you're not religious, David, you can never get away from being a Jew. Buddy. Right. Once a Jew, always a Jew. You are born into this. You're born into it. Right. Now, there's another question. But man, there's so much stuff flooding my mind. So. Uh, let me ask you, when you approach, because, uh, for example, I went to an artist's house in uh, Roshan, and he's also a composer. He, he's, a, he's one of the guys that's in the Israeli Plectrum Orchestra. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're very uh, known in Europe and uh, parts of the United States, but he's also an artist and a sculptor. So I went to his apartment, we did an interview about the orchestra, and he had actually went to Rome and studied art and had a picture of Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. When I took a picture of that, a beautiful painting, when I took a picture of that, I was ostracized by many of my religious friends. Why would you post that? And we've been persecuted and blah, blah, blah. How do you clear up the misunderstanding 
that a lot of people who say they're a Christian and are not, who have promoted this idea, especially it's been promoted uh, historically through the Catholic Church, that the Jews killed Jesus. How do you deal with that? Because there's a lot of people that feel that. And it wasn't... In our view of Christianity, as we read the, the, the Bible, we know that He came to die from the foundations of the world. It was meant for Him. It was predestined. Right. So it wasn't the Jews that killed Him. We all did. It's in the view of Christianity, all with our sin, we all killed Yeah, I think that's a very... I think that's a recent understanding of... Uh, of the self-identification of of Christianity vis-a-vis understanding Jesus. I think for the longest time, the Pharisees mentioned in the New Testament was a representation of all Jews that deser- that that all Jews were in it to kill Jesus. Right. Therefore, we had the the um, we we did deicide in essence. We were accused of deicide. And for the longest time, that was part of the replacement theology of the church. Replacement theology, at the, at the end of the day, caused a lot of problems between the synagogue and the church. And, and that's also another problem. Passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth. That's what Dr. Michael Youssef does each week on Leading the Way. And now you can listen right here on Radio Sandy Springs. Join Dr. Youssef for profound teaching and insight into the worldwide ministry of Leading the Way. You'll also hear accounts of how the gospel message is reaching some of the darkest areas of the world. So join us for Leading the Way. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Because they were out of their land. That was the biggest proof. Martin Luther said this, the you know so-called founder of the Protestant movement. Right. Right. Table talks is the worst polemic against the Jewish people, and the anti-Semitism that he said in that book is unbelievable, but still resonates even today. So the Catholic Church, even though what they said in the medieval times and before that, with the Protestant movement still continuing that bad, I mean, anti-Semitism. Now, for the first time, Christians are saying, how did the Jews get back? How is this all possible? And there had to be a reevaluation and saying, okay, what's going on here? So, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a Times Magazine article not that long ago that said one of the biggest fashions out there today is the discovery of a Jewish Jesus. Like, that was revelational. This is like 10 years ago. That the Jewish Jesus is a, is a new thing that people want to rediscover. And I would go like, I'm, I always say to Christians the following. And I think this is because of what I learned in all Roberts University. Just like the divinity of Jesus is extremely important to Christian identity, the humanity of Jesus also has to be equally important in order to fulfill whatever he needs to fulfill within the theological parameter. Right. He had to be fully human. Right. His humanity practiced the Judaism. Right. That Judaism closely reflects mine. He grew up in Pharisaical Judaism, unlike Paul, who grew up both in Hellenistic Judaism and Pharisaical Judaism, but probably more influenced by his Hellenism than his Jerusalem roots. But Jesus grew up in the Pharisaical movement. That means my my expression of Judaism and how it is is today, the closest you're going to get is me. So wouldn't if, if Jesus is so important to a Christian, 
if it's divinity and humanity, then his Judaism has to be also equally as important. Wow. And that's where the relationship really becomes gelling because all of a sudden we have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. It's not, it, it's, we're expressing covenant in different ways, but we're partners in the covenant experience for us to do kingdom and holiness to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. And if we don't do this together, that's not being a proper witness for the world. Wow. You're you're listen, you're saying a lot of stuff because you know, again, look, I have to be careful how how I word things because it's bad enough you get a lot of there's misunderstandings, number one. Number two, I think I'm very clear from a Christian no, point you're, of view. If you're, Jews are listening to this; they might not understand. Right. All that's the, my the, question. Right. The Jews are not going to understand a lot what I just said right now. Because and, I, and you've been you've received a lot of heat for that. A lot of Jews have been very against what we have done to build up relationships with Christians because of the wounds of the past. Is right. still raw, and a lot of that focus. Now, I, I don't know how to dichotomize this, but how much of the Protestant church has actually persecuted the Jews in comparison to the Catholic church. Well, we're going to, I'm going to pick episode versus episode <laughs> here. Like, it goes before how many Jews were killed or were thrown out of a particular place. Right. Both, both. But the Catholic guilty. church has predominantly had reign over Europe for the most part. There's no question about that. But you also had, you know, the Protestants and the Catholics didn't get along for a long time. Right. I'm, I, I'm I, not a big fan of the Vatican, actually. I, I know. A lot of evangelicals not are a fan of Catholicism. But I would have to say this. There are Catholic people, though, that I know that are good people. Yes. My mother has, has a prayer group, and there are some Catholic women that attend. And anyway, go ahead. So I will say this, which I think that... I th- and I'll say this to the... I know you have evangelical listeners. I think the evangelicals threw the, uh, the baby out with the bathwater. Not everything Catholic is bad. I understand the whole issue of... of the Pope. And, the Pope and all that from right. a Protestant point of view. But you would not have the theological revolution of looking at Jews within a Jewish context without Vatican II. Pope... John the 23rd, who's considered like the Pope for, for both Jews and Christians, if anyone knows the history of Jewish-Christian relations, was the, was the person saying, I am Joseph, your brother. I am the person you can look at as a brother. Not as, this is, we're looking at a relationship here. Right. We're able to better a relationship. And the theology that took place within the Catholic Church to look at Jews as... you. As, as an equal is unbelievable. I don't think it has taken that revolution within the evangelical circles. I don't think they're there yet. Right. I think what you have in the evangelical world, unlike the Catholic world, is that you'll have a lot of grassroots um, support for Israel, which you won't have in the Catholic Church, because right. the Catholic Church works top to bottom. And right. That's very... <clears throat> someone who's in charge of almost... Let's say over a billion Catholics around the world. There's a 1.2, 1.3 billion Catholics around the world. Right. If you're a pope and you're leading this, you sort of have to find the lowest common denominator to unify everybody. Right. And Jewish Christian relations is not a big unifier. <laughs> Try Christian Muslim relations. <laughs> right. So, I, so for a pope, for, but the, but all the popes, the last three popes, Pope John, Pope John Paul II. 
Benedict and Pope Francis have all come out with amazing statements to advance the Jewish-Catholic uh, relationship, which has not filtered down to the masses. What you have on the evangelical side, and especially within the spirit-filled world, a lot of grassroots awakening to to the whole thing of standing with Israel, but not necessarily organizationally within the movements themselves. Right. So it's an interesting phenomenon that what's happening in the Catholic Church on a theological level, what's happening on the grassroots on the Protestant side of things in the evangelical world. And each needs its own assessment and evaluation. I think Jews place too much importance of what the Pope says because a lot of Catholics don't listen to what the Pope says. Ah, the majority of them don't. Right? So, I grew up with Catholics. No, but it's, you have to look at statistically. Look at the Catholic Church. The Pope has gone, gone against... Uh, women having abortions, right? But the biggest viol- but the biggest violators within a religious movement in Christianity of abortion are Catholics, right? Right, right. So, so, you know, not everything the Pope says is adhered to. Is adhered to, and I think sometimes when when a Pope when the Pope says something, especially if it's negative or seems to be negative, perceived by Jews. <gasps> Jewish-Catholic relations is over, so we jump to conclusions on the Jewish side. I'm like, hold on one second. Calm down. First, we need to assess what the Pope actually said, why he said it. And it doesn't mean Jewish-Catholic relations is over because a statement was made. It doesn't mean the 50 years that was put into, blood, sweat, and tears of the relationship is over. On the evangelical side now, on the other side of the aisle, is that Jewish-Christian relations is basically an Israel issue and not necessarily a faith relationship. That's a good point. That's Wow, that's a good point. I, my hope is that it will turn into a more in-depth relationship. But the only way that can happen is I understand you within your own movement right. as a Christian and the Christian can understand me as a Jew in, in my Judaism and not as a, a witnessing reflex that I that there is this need to convert me because that's part of the Great Commission. I think a Christian needs to take in consideration who the Jew is and understanding them in their Jewish context. Wow. And that takes a lot of patience and a willingness to do that. It's easy to pray for me and I love it. <laughs> It's easy to pray for Israel and security, but if it's only reduced to an occasional prayer, then if this is still the same thing 30 years from now, we both, the church and the synagogue, have failed. Right. Wow. That's very powerful. You know, the problem is, and a lot of my friends, and you and I discussed this before we had started the show, uh, you know, obviously in the... you know, quote-unquote Christians have not always been called Christians. You know, they were called... Uh, Nazareans, believers. Exactly, exactly. So... People of the way. Uh, never heard that one. <laughs> so let me ask you, because there was a lot of confusion, and you've studied the... I don't like to call it the New Testament. I think that's a term, the European term. Apostolic writings. I actually call it the Second Covenant. Okay, I call it the Apostolic writings. A, a covenant is a legal binding agreement. And, but that's great too. Now that's that's awesome. That's a great way of putting it. Second covenant apostolic writings. My question is this: You know, there was confusion in the quote unquote early church uh, about 
what what do we bring from Judaism into insert and, and insert it into Christianity? Uh, that's where like a lot of uh, uh, kosher went out and things like because there was a lot of controversy in those days. My question is this: because I personally do not celebrate Christmas, which is a insight to Israel. This is our view; not doesn't have to be yours. Pagan holiday started by the Catholic Church. Who puts a tree in their house and decorate? It's nice and warm and fuzzy, but I'm telling you, it ate at me for years because I would even listen to Christmas music and I would think, these are godless people singing these songs. Frank Sinatra was a godless man. He had people killed, you know? And here he is singing Christmas songs. Now, the early writers and things, I don't want to go into a bunch of detail, but I do not do not adhere to Christmas. Hanukkah? Yes! all the Jewish feast days and the holidays, there's a specific calling for those in the Bible. And, you know, here the Christian church has gone so far away from its original founding. We really have. We've gone so far away from it. My friends, they're not in the ministry because they're like, we're so far away from it. If we tried to adhere and do what is biblically sound, we would be rejected. And it's not that they're scared of rejection, but they, they see where we've gone off the cliff. And I think that's a lot of the reason why there's not that understanding. Uh, so, you have this Bible study. I'm going to make my point. Oh, okay. So, you have this Bible study that you do. What is it like when you actually bring that Jewish Jesus and everything that he experienced as a young man? He, he had a... He had a bar mitzvah. He had a bar mitzvah. He, he went celebrated to the biblical feast. That's why he went up to Jerusalem. Right. That's why you're going up to Jerusalem, because there's Passover and Pentecost, known as Shavuot, and the Feast of Tabernacle, known as Sukkot. So these are biblical holidays on the calendar. He celebrated Purim, which is a rabbinical holiday mentioned in our canon for the Book of Esther, but it was established by Mordecai and Esther. Wow. Hanukkah. Established by we don't we I'm never taught those things. No one ever said no, why. The answer is very simple. even in seminary. No right. one ever said I, I, I'm going from evangelical okay. theology. Okay, right now, okay? okay. The reason is because the the um, purity of a justification of faith, bringing any works into it, seems to be a very big fear factor. In the salvation equation. Okay. You'll hear this being preached every Sunday. I can hear Creflo Dollar to Joseph Prince and all those I don't like any Sunday evangelists right. who preach, thank God I am not under the law. Right. We are not under that burden. Not under, I mean, cursed. And everything could be talked about the law. Right. Okay. The law has a very negative feeling within Christendom. Because it's about faith. And I say, well, if you're in, as you say you're in, the next step is sanctification. Wow, that's a beautiful word. That's what it is. That's a beautiful word. That's the next category. Do you know how many churches today, I can guarantee, do not teach sanctification? The purification is you submit to God. Sanctification and holiness. Living a kingdom lifestyle. If, if, and I saw this even with my colleagues in Old Roberts University questioning their faith because they're feeling any type of work. Forget about Jewish culture, just anything. Right. They're questioning their salvation. And I'm like, 
guys, you're in from your own theology. Why is there a question here? You've already signed on the dotted line. Wow. Can we move on <laughs> to dealing with the sanctification? Because that's what needs everyday living. Right. Wow. That's that's, that's the everyday living. Wow. I've so, never heard out of a Jewish mouth the word sanctification. Right. And I only learned that word because I went to learn Christian theology. The reason is because I want to get the language in order to build up the relationship at wow. the end of the day. So if someone can see that the biblical feast as part of the sanctification, Shabbat is not a day off to rest so we can go ahead and do the rest of the week. Right. The rest of the week is leading up to the Shabbat. Wow. At the end of the day, it's it's a celebration of time. Do you the mean, week is about is about conquering space. Can, can I let me interject this? This let me tell you, this is so amazing because I hear this time and again. Time and again, I look forward to Shabbat. I'm excited about Shabbat. Shabbat goes too quick. I hear this all the time, and it's so amazing. It's like there's such a joy as you come into it. Because it's the only time, it's because at the end of the day, biblical faith is about a celebration of time. No two moments are the same thing. Paganism culture, if you understand it, means that every every moment is the same thing. So I can waste time, I can kill time. I have all these interesting uh, murderous words about time. But if you really look at time as each moment is different because I can have this moment to sanctify God's will, God said the Sabbath was holy. Not me as man. God said it was holy. He wants this time frame between you and him because time is the only thing you can share. Space is something you cannot share. Once I occupied space, you can't come into my space. Right. But time, the moment we can do this. Wow. So the first thing God is telling us, this is the revolution of what it means to believe in God, is that there is moments to sanctify me. I want you to work six days. Yes, we understand the conquering of space. Right. But all that stuff, all being create, being create, creating and all that creativity has to stop. Because if you do that constantly, you're going to think you're a God. Right. You're going to need time out to say, hey, there's something above you. And everything that you've done comes from one source and one source only. The only way you can do that is you have the time to think about that. So God says, in this this time frame, you are not supposed to be the creator. You're supposed to appreciate the creation. You're supposed to appreciate me. And the only way you can do that is in communion with me as God and with the community and with the family. So, of course, we look forward to Shabbat because it is the time where nothing else matters. Everything that has to deal with creativity is shut out. You know, I'll tell you. And if the church would get this, it would be a better church. My mother would never. Back in the day, when I was growing up, if you can't do it during the week, it probably doesn't need to be done. But you don't do it on Sunday. The, The Republican Party would call her all the time and ask for money on Sunday. She said, listen... You'll never get my money because you're calling me on God's day, and I'm honoring God, and you don't. You're, that's why this country's failing. She would give him a big lecture. The beautiful thing is, listen. You know, I get people that ask me, Michael, but what do you think? Because the government shouldn't. And the I, I, I'm, I know I'm, you're looking at me like there's so many things going through my mind because it's so exciting because. Even they tried to say Ben-Goyen was a secular, he wasn't religious. Well, the guy had a Bible next to his bed. And 
even if he was quote unquote secular, which the, that's how the seculars try to say it, the man when he when the country was established honored Shabbat. They set that day aside. Most everything in this country, most everything, as I can see, as my travels, is closed on Shabbat. Government services are closed. There is a certain sense, especially if you go to Jerusalem, the, the city is shut down. It's amazing. The only people riding <laughs> usually are the Christian tour groups going to, this is the opportunity to get from, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. Yeah. Everyone goes to that, but... You know, it doesn't mean that every Jew is observing the Sabbath. Of course. Right. But what we're saying, there's a certain sense of understanding that the Sabbath is important. Even Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Wow. Okay? The country is even more shut down. No one's on the highway. David. Shut down the United States for one day. I guarantee it will never happen. This is what I'm going to say. You say that you're one nation under God. It's a lie. I'm going to tell my listeners, you've been duped. And lied to and deceived. When I see this entire country shut down on the Day of Atonement, no traffic, none, everything, even the secular people, David, I've seen it. They stand outside the synagogues and listen to the prayers. The most secular. When was the last time your church had quote unquote sinners standing outside of your church listening to you pray? I'm just going to say that. No, I think that's an example. Yeah, that no matter how far you may be in wow. observance, there's always a chance. That's the beauty of it. There's always a chance to come back. That's the revolution of the Bible again. Repentance. But I just gave this a Bible study. You talk about the Bible study that we do, right? Yeah. So every Wednesday night at the Bible Lands Museum at 5.45 p.m., we have the local Christian community and Christian visitors that are coming to Jerusalem to learn with us. I know it may be weird to have a bunch of Christians learn with rabbis and stuff, <laughs> but the point of it is to build up a relationship. Absolutely. Okay. So I talked about Cain and Abel as an, as an example of repentance. And, and looking at the examples, so we went from Cain and Abel to Joseph and his brothers to the Golden Calf and the Spies event Okay. in the Book of Numbers. And what you see is a phenomenon that happened that... Two brothers, first fact, you know, first murder in the Bible. Brother relationships weren't going well after that. You notice that? Yeah. Until Joseph. Joseph is able, through everything that happened in wow. his life, was able to say, I forgive you. Wow. Right? That's amazing. God doesn't say, I forgive you in the book of Genesis. The only time God says, the first time he says, I forgive you, is after the episode of the spies. God forgives according to Moses' words, right? right? He wanted to destroy. He wanted to wipe out everything. Right, on Mount Sinai. Not on Mount Sinai. After, when the when the spies came back with a bad report, right. the whole nation is crying, and God is basically saying, this, these people are not coming in, we'll make a new deal with you, and all this out with Moses. And then Moses intercedes, invokes the 13 attributes that was said in the book of Exodus, which okay. are compassionate God. Once I invoke the 13 attributes, this should be... A closer that you should forgive and God forgives. Wow. First, brother needed to forgive brother before God can forgive. And what we learn from Yom Kippur is you can't come into the holiday of the Day of Atonement without the day before asking forgiveness from our brother. It's amazing. Amazing. I've had people email me here. I'm sorry. I did something wrong. I've had people email me, David, and say... 
And there's so many things I've learned since I've been here. I've had people email me and say, Michael, if I've done anything to offend you, please forgive me. But where does that come from? <laughs> that's the revolution of I've the Bible. I've never had Christians do that. But that's the revolution of the Bible. Saying that first there's free will. You can't have repentance or atonement without free will. That's what you used to learn in Cain and Abel. And then you have the free will. To, free will, once it's established, then I have the opportunity to ask for forgiveness. No other culture or religion has a concept of like that. That you, What is forgiveness and atonement? It's starting anew. Where do you get that? Everything else is karma, destiny. This is what you're yeah, born into. Everything is, everything is, this is your path in life. And the whole concept of forgiveness and atonement is that, no, it doesn't work that way. That I have an opportunity, as long as I'm willing to have some type of connection with God, I can reverse all the other past chapters in my life. Wow. That, I want Christians, and I said to you this in a private meeting, we, we have a word in Hebrew called halavai. Halavai, the Christians would be Christ-centered. That means only if the Christians would be Christ-centered. I want them to be. If they are, I know that once that happens, their love for Israel and the Jewish people will happen. The problem is the prosperity gospel has gotten so far off yeah. the, the radar screen with everybody. It's like, of course, if God is only scheduled in a power hour in a church, you can't have a functional corporate church. It can't work that way. How do you expect the church to all of a sudden then love Israel? It can't be. Because now it's all it's all centered of self. It's not centered for God. I want Christians to be good Christians. Right. Because the values of Christianity is the same values of Judaism. You know, I, I just recently had a conversation with uh, one of my donors. And she kind of believes that way. Because uh, she said, no, Michael, God... God will save America through the election and, and because God wants us all to be happy and, and to, to be blessed and prosperous. Happiness can may, may be a result of your belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not a guarantee that you'll have happiness. Right. Psalm 23 makes it very clear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, wow. I do not, I'm not afraid. Why? Because God is with me. God doesn't promise you a rose garden. Right, absolutely. God absolutely. promises you he'll be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Right. Somehow we feel that God is some type of, like since we brought up Christmas, some type of Santa Claus. What? And, he's, and God is not Santa Claus. God is God. You're here as a, you have a responsibility. It's not about my rights in, in biblical faith. It's about my responsibility to Him. And it's always going to come with challenges to, to accomplishing God's uh, work in, on earth. That's, that's why we're part of this kingdom. If you want to go ahead and be self-centered, there's plenty of paganisms you can choose from absolutely, today. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to ask you, uh, and, and I, you know, for the listeners, uh, I don't know how deep we should go, but uh, my experience here with Arab, I, get, I just got a few minutes. Okay. Okay. My experience here, and, and I'm not going to say it's an overall because not everybody's the same way, but you do a lot of things to help the Arab Christians. Yes, we do. And I think that's amazing. Thank you. Uh, my experience with some of the Arab Christians is kind of like it is with the Muslims. And I'm glad that you mentioned this early in the show. Uh, my father, well, my parents are Christian, so I'm a Christian. Uh, 
And there's not that, because uh, in Christianity we believe in an experiential relationship. That's why you say born again. Exactly, exactly. Uh, wow, that's good. The, in, in Romania, they, I remember I spent a year there teaching school, and they, they called it pokaitza, repented ones. Uh, the Orthodox and Catholics called them that. Uh, how have you been able to, or what challenges have you faced with uh, Arab Christians who are who say I'm I'm Christian because my parents are. Have you experienced that? So I, I you have I think you have to understand Christianity here in Israel and the Palestinian Authority right. is going to be a little different than what most people experience in the United States. Right. First of all, most of the Christian denominations here, the two main ones really at the end of the day is the Greek Orthodox Church or some type of Orthodox Church. Yeah. yeah. Or Catholicism. The Protestant faiths is very, very small, and the evangelical Christianity is even smaller. Okay, that's number one. Number two, they're New Testament Christians. The Old Testament is looked upon as a Jewish book, not really to be engaged Ah. with. It's very important that most people who grow up within the Christian Arab world are not looking at the New at the New Old Testament stories. Yeah. Okay? And that's a problem because they're not connecting. That's why there's not much of a connection wow. to the Jews, especially in the, within the Palestinian Authority, uh, how Christians grow up. I'm not going to... This is from what pastors have told me who are Christian Arab pastors within the culture who have grown up that way. Um, so it takes a, a tremendous amount of strength for a Christian Arab to say, you know what, I'm willing to work with Israeli Jews because it's it's the replacement theology within the Orthodox Church and the Christian Arab Church is very much I would say pre-Vatican II not so much after Vatican II right right. I said whatever happened theologically on the top didn't really necessarily filter down the bottom and that's very very open okay so your answer the answer to your question as far as I am I am um, I'm a Christian right Christian Arab, let's repeat the question again. The, what has been your experience with Christian Arabs who say, I'm a Christian because of my family? Yeah, you'll find out that, yes, that's pretty much the case. I grew up Christian, but it's that's not... a huge good. barrier to overcome. It is, because it becomes, it's culturally Christian, as opposed to being really based upon faith. Yeah. What you do see within the evangelical world, and as small as it is here in Israel and the Palestinian Authority is there is this commitment of faith. Right? I'm not scheduling God in for whatever so I can just get by for the rest of the week. Right, right, wow. David, I want to say thank you. That's it? Wow, we what have a great faith? time, brother. That Between you and Jay Schultz. <laughs> wow, I, I, might, I might fire him and make you the official rabbi. That's okay. That's, That's Jay. great Jay's stuff. great. Yeah, Jay's awesome. <laughs> Listen, folks, thank you for listening to Insight to Israel. This is Michael Gano. God bless the patriot conservatives who stand for the Judeo-Christian founded Constitution Bill of Rights. And God bless Israel in her fight for sovereignty and security. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.